While the world is quick to tell you all that it's against, Uptown Church wants you to know where for. We're for doing what's right and fixing what's wrong. We're for lifting up prayers and breaking down barriers. We're for the brightest, boldest, loneliest, finest, and most flawed among us. And most importantly, we're for you. Uptown Church. In the city. For the city. Well, good morning. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you, I am Joy Gonzalez. I'm the campus pastor here. And like Elizabeth said, it's so good to be with you and worshiping as we continue on in this series, Relationship Goals. Now, for how many of you did that video hit like home? Okay, I had flashbacks when I watched this a few weeks ago. Uh, 14 years ago, here's the scene. 14 years ago, I have just married the love of my life, my husband who I met on a blind date, that can happen, and we are spending our first night together in our new home. We had not lived together prior to getting married, and we were both in different states away from each other, so we had not really spent just like normal lifetime together before getting married. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We go to brush our teeth together like some Um, in love puppies, you know, naive and just thinking love is going to solve all of our problems. And we are brushing our teeth and I'm, you know, I got my toothpaste and I'm squeezing up the toothpaste nicely, evenly distributing it throughout the tube like a normal civilized human being. (laughs) And I look over and my husband has just grabbed that tube like a ravenous animal is just like, he has squeezed toothpaste everywhere. And I thought, what have I done? <laughs> just dread came over me because I realized I cannot live with this man, but I cannot live without this man. What am I going to do? And hasn't that been the tension since the dawn of time in human relationships? This rub that you cannot live with them, but you cannot live without them. I mean, God tells us, one of the very first things God says about humanity is this, it is not good for humans to be alone, that we need each other. But the next thing, literally the next thing that happens in scripture after God says this is that the very few first human family is all, it goes awry. It all, the human experiment goes awry within three chapters of scripture, okay? And all of a sudden it begins to feel impossible to be together. But we're doing this series because we know something, not only that God has said about humanity, but something that even science backs up, and that's this, that it may be hard to be in relationship with one another, but connection is the solution to our brokenness. That connection is actually the solution to our deepest problems with one another, to our deepest problems in society and problems with other people in the world. We need connection, not not brokenness. And the connection brings us together and gets us back to the heart of what we were made for. So today I want to talk about for the next few minutes, probably one of the most difficult relationships in any of our lives, much bigger than the toothpaste disaster of 2008. And that is one that I was starkly reminded of a few months ago in a training for pastors. 
there were five of us pastors in a room with this trainer, and we were going to spend all day together really diving deep into um, just some really kind of hard stuff to talk about, really like do hard work. And so the trainer thought, you know, before we kind of dig into all this hard work, let's get to know each other a little bit better so we can kind of sympathize, empathize with each other. So he said, we're going to do an opening icebreaker, answer one question, go around the table. It'll take like 30 minutes. Three and a half hours later, we were breaking for lunch and we had barely finished up the exercise. Do you know what his opening question was? His opening question was, tell me about your family. Tell me about your family. Three and a half hours later, and he was like, oh gosh, half the day is gone. Our family, our family relationships are some of the most important relationships in our lives, but hands down, and I'm not sure anybody would disagree, some, they're actually some of the hardest relationships in our lives. And in fact, that doesn't get any easier when we get out of our homes. Usually, as you can attest to, that gets a little bit harder once you move out of your home and begin to individuate as an adult and live your life. Those dynamics rub a little bit differently. In fact, every time I do marriage counseling, every starting place to every question that we go over, that we talk about is, so how did your family handle that when you were growing up? Yeah, what did your parents say about that topic? How did you guys handle conflict or money? Because it impacts every aspect of our lives, doesn't it? So we're gonna dig into that, but I do wanna say this. The Bible does not give us an ideal image of family. I feel like that's an important disclaimer when you're talking about family relationships because we kind of come into that discussion in church and we're like, okay, the Bible says, and we're gonna just do that and we're good to go. Or God will just give us the pathway and we, we do that and we're good to go. But to burst your bubble, <laughs> There is no like biblical idea of the perfect family. In fact, if you go to the Bible to look at, well, how do Bibles operate in the family? And like, how does God want families to go? What you will actually find is a miserable lineup of some of the worst families you've ever heard of in your entire life. You can go to the Bible to find what not to do, but very rarely is the Bible a great source as to what to do when it comes to families. Because as you dig into scripture, despite maybe what people have told you or you've heard, there is not a traditional family and families in scripture look many different ways. They go very many different ways. They're messy. They're chaotic. In fact, if you're in the throes of raising children, I recommend actually reading about these families because it'll just make you feel better about your family. That's about all the Bible's going to offer you here, okay? But the incredible thing about Scripture, and when you look at all of the families and the way God interacts with them in Scripture, is that they're broken, they're messy. They oftentimes get it right, but grace, 
but God, amid all of the chaos, amid all of the broken promises, amid all of the things that often go awry in our lives, you see evidence that all throughout it, God does not abandon us in the process. God does not abandon our families because we don't get it right sometimes. God does not abandon our families because our family dynamics change or look different. God sticks with us through it all and through everything that happens in the Bible, we see people who experience grace beyond their wildest dreams, despite some of the craziest choices they make or the things that happen to them. So I, I do hope more than anything today, as you walk away and you think about your family dynamics, your family relationships, that will be the one hope that you can take with you. That is good news. That whatever your family dynamics are, good or bad, whatever's happening in your family right now, whether you like it or you dislike it, however you feel about your family and however they feel about you, that you could walk away today knowing that God doesn't abandon you in the process and in the mess. That God's with you and God can work out grace in it all and bring about new hope and new life even if it doesn't look the same as it's been before, even if it looks different, there is grace and there is hope for you. Amen? Okay, that was kind of just like the aside. So are you ready for the sermon? There's this incredible story in the New Testament, um, in fact, where Jesus, who had an earthly family, you know, Jesus comes down to earth as God in the flesh, God with a bod, and he is gonna show us how to be. That was for you. Um, and Jesus comes down and he has this whole earthly ministry where he is showing us the way of the kingdom of God, the way of God. And in this earthly incarnation, this enfleshing of God, he has a family. And the incredible thing about Jesus and his family is it's not a traditional family because Jesus is adopted. Jesus um, is adopted by Joseph, a carpenter. Mary is his biological mother, but Joseph is his adopted father. And so he has a whole gaggle of step and half brothers and sisters. So he is very familiar with that dynamic. If that is your family dynamic, Jesus knows. And Jesus in his ministry has this encounter with his parents, um, with his mother and his brothers. And it's really tense. In fact, to me, when I read that, it's one of the tensest situations that I see Jesus in. I read it and I get really uncomfortable. And it's a story many of us skip over because only one gospel writer really highlights this story. It's like Jesus' family dirty laundry is out on display and one follower of Jesus is like, oh yeah, people need to hear that. <laughs> Jesus gets it. And it happens in Mark. And it's at this point in Jesus' earthly ministry when Jesus has become greatly famous for the work that he's doing. He is healing the sick. He is providing for the poor and the needy. He is bringing people who have been on the outside of the religious system into the hope and good news of God. And so word is spreading like wildfire that God has come on the scene in Jesus. And so crowds and multitudes are following Jesus wherever he goes. So he's kind of got this itinerant traveling ministry happening and people know about him. And there's this one moment in which Jesus um, goes home. Mark tells us, then after all this traveling, he went home. 
he went home. Some of y'all squirmed in your seats a little bit because you know that dynamic. Life is going good, and then you go home. Then grandma's like, so when are you going to get married and have kids? Your dad's like, so when are you going to get a real job and stop playing with that hobby? You know, family member so-and-so says, do you know what God says about your life? Did you, have you read the Bible? Do you know that God would approve or disapprove of what you're doing? Yeah. Many of us have felt that. And then you go home. And so that's exactly where Jesus is. Then he goes home. And Mark tells us this is what happens. He went home and the crowds came together again, so much so that he could not even eat with his disciples and family. And when his family heard this, they went out to restrain him. For people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. So here Jesus is, he's gone home, but the crowds follow him, and so much so that they're pressing in. He can't even eat, can't even spend time with his family. So his family goes to take care of it. Obviously, Jesus, you can't take care of it. We'll step in and we'll help you out. We're your family, right? That's what families do. We step in. We'll get all this back in line. And so that's what Mark is telling us they're doing, but there's a little bit more going on than just they're trying to do crowd control because it's got out of hand, because Jesus's influencer like circle has become too much for them to handle. See, Mark tells us what, the context behind this. He says, and then the scribes, and scribes were religious leaders in the Jewish temple system. He says, and the scribes came down from Jerusalem and said this, he, Jesus, has Beelzebub, and he is led by the ruler of demons. By the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. So these religious leaders come down from Jerusalem, so this is also going on while the crowds are pressing in, and they're stirring up trouble. They're telling the crowds, they're spreading lies about Jesus because they're threatened by his authority and power and that he is doing for the people what they claim they want to do for the people. And so they're trying to thwart his ministry and stop his influence by saying, oh, he's possessed by Satan himself. He might be casting out evil spirits, but it's because he's possessed by evil spirits. He says everyone can come into the kingdom of God. He's gone astray. He must be mad. And so these religious leaders spread this dissent in the crowd, and it's beginning to cause trouble. And his family sees this. They're not just overwhelmed by the crowd size and the crowds pressing in. They're overwhelmed by the, the dynamic of the crowds changing. They realize, oh, my goodness, this is actually maybe becoming dangerous for Jesus. So they go out to restrain him. I think at their best because they want to help him. Okay, we need to take, Jesus needs to take a break. He needs to take a step back, go on a spiritual retreat, you know, like tone it down, you know, wait till the drama dies down and then he can get back out there. We're not told exactly why they want to restrain him other than they think and other people are saying he might be out of his mind. Well, we don't know, but maybe we can imagine because of our own experience in families, there might also be this very real dynamic playing out that they're thinking, Jesus, 
we got to restrain you because you are bucking our family system. You are bucking the way the world works, the way our society works, which at that time was built around the family and religious system. They might be saying, Jesus, it's time for you to get in line. Not only are you operating in a way in which our family never has, in a way we don't operate, but you are threatening our status in society. You are threatening our place in our social circles. You are threatening our place in the synagogue. Jesus, you are threatening even our family and your work, and you have got to stop. It's time to get in line, because Jesus, don't you know what we have done for you? Jesus, don't you know what we have provided for you? Don't you know the sacrifices we made for you so that you could have opportunity in this life, Jesus? Now it is time to show up and honor your family. Is it possible that that dynamic is playing out too? It's not just Jesus come and stay safe, but that it's Jesus also come and keep us safe. But this is what Jesus says to his family. And this is hard for many of us when we read it to see. He says this, and this is again painting that picture. His mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent him, they called him. The crowd was sitting around him and his brother and mother said, come, they're asking for you. This is the crowd telling him that. And then I am sorry, I need to get to this next slide. There we go. He replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who were sitting around him, he says, here are my mother, here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is actually my family. And in this moment, Jesus is telling his family, no, I'm not gonna come, no, I am not going to fall back in line. No, I'm not going to stop. And he actually, it sounds like he's disowning his family. When I read that, I think, oh my goodness, what is Jesus saying about our family relationships? Is he saying that we can just completely abandon them, can separate ourselves from them? Should we need to? Is, is Jesus abandoning his family in this moment, in this time? Is that what is happening with Jesus? because he does not go with his family. He does not in that moment even honor them as someone in his culture and time would. He breaks from honor and shame. He says there is something more important right now. There is a call, there is a will I am bound to of God that is more important than honoring my family system. And that's hard, that would have been hard for those people hearing it then. I mean, visible like gasp would have transpired and I think that's why Mark writes it for us. It's hard for us to imagine today. I mean, your mom calls and she says, you need something? You're like, okay, mom, whatever, you know. I mean, we get in line for our moms. We get in line for dad. We get in line, we do what we can even when there are hard moments in relationships with our families. But Jesus says, to a point. The incredible thing about this story, and I think what you and I can take from it, is that Jesus does not abandon his family system. In fact, Jesus simply engages with them differently. 
And we know this because if you read the rest of Mark's gospel and all the other gospels and take them together, from this point forward, Jesus is not without his family. In fact, Mary, his mother, and his brothers and sisters are accounted for as his followers. They continue on with him. There is not an abandonment or a full separation at this point. In fact, we read accounts of Mary at the foot of the cross when Jesus is crucified. And Jesus looking down with pity on his mother and asking John, his disciple, to care for her. And then we read the account of James, his brother, who becomes a leader in the Christian church and carries on his teachings and message. We know, and there's clear evidence in Scripture, Jesus in this moment is not abandoning his family. But Jesus does change the rules of engagement. And I think that that is where a lot of us find ourselves questioning what are the rules of engagement in our family. Do we just continue with the system as it has always been, playing the roles we have always played, or is there something else, a point at which God calls us to answer to a higher power, that being God? In fact, when Jesus changes this dynamic when Jesus calls out that he's not just going to do what his family says. Jesus is making a very powerful statement. He recognizes that any system that has the power to shape you has to be questioned. Any relationship in your life that has the power to shape your existence, to mold you, and to form you, any power in this world that impacts and forms your life must be scrutinized and questioned and not followed blindly. And how many of us, how many of us that feels antithetical to what it means to be in a family, but Jesus in questioning and changing the rules of engagement with his own family lifts up the power of families to shape us, that they are some of the most influential systems and relationships in our lives. And so at times they may need to be questioned because as followers of Jesus, the most important rule of life we follow is, is that of God. I mean, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't pray my families, my romantic relationships will be done. God, your will be done. So any other relationship has to be held up in light of our relationship with God. And that is what Jesus is saying and showing us in this moment. And I love this quote from an author and Christian leader, Pete Scazzaro, because he makes this point really clear. He says, you may have Jesus in your heart. You may love Jesus, but you have grandpa in your bones. Your family is so much a part of who you are, you don't even think about it. It is just your, your muscle memory, he's saying. And so Jesus is saying, you gotta, you gotta look at that. You gotta question where and when that is helpful and when that is harmful, and then re-enlist the rules of engagement. And I love this because Jesus flips the whole paradigm of family relationships. Whereas in his time and culture, family was the way in which you understood and engaged with God. He says, actually, God 
and your engagement relationship with God is the way you understand and engage with your family. That is the new rule of life, the new way in which you live out healthy and whole relationships, not only with God, but with one another. So friends, I wanna close with this. What are your family relationships like? What is the dynamic in your family? If you would have answered like Jesus in that moment and said, no, mom, how would that scene have played out? If you are newly married or getting ready to get married and you're beginning to rethink your engagement with your family, and there's already been the fights of, well, who are you gonna spend the holidays with? You can spend it with her family. You guys did Thanksgiving with them. Or as you're thinking about expanding your family or roles in your family are changing, or maybe you're thinking through separation and the family's changing, the makeup of your family. Begin to just look at your family this week and ask, if I define all of my relationships, my family dynamic in terms of the new family of God, would that cause problems or would that be okay? And then I think there are two questions that we can ask ourselves if we feel like, you know, there might be some problems in my family dynamic and relationships. And, and I get these from um, the book Boundaries, and I highly recommend this book for all relationships. But it's written by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, and they say this, if you are running up against problems in your family or discomfort, ask yourself this, does your family... And do your family ties keep you from doing the things you know to be right for your life? Are your family relationships keeping you from living the life you know God's calling you to live? And then two, have you really become an adult in the relationship? Have you really become an autonomous entity in the relationship? Or are you still always their child? Is that the relationship that you have? Or are you seen as an independent whole? And then they give some tips for building boundaries. And I'm going to go through these really fast, but we will send these to you and share them in another avenue. But they say, if you are having problems, you probably have a boundary issue and ways you can go about that. They give nine, I mean, it's nine, it will work. But ways that you can re-engage the relationship and redefine it as Jesus does. They say, one, identify the symptom. What is causing like, the problem? Is there, an, what, it, what is happening in the relationship that you're noticing that a boundary might be being crossed because you feel resentful? Okay, that's the symptom, you feel resentful. Identify the conflict. Why is that symptom arising? What is the conflict there? Oh, because you don't do everything they tell you to do. Identify the need driving the conflict. I like what they say. They say every single way in which we act out bad or poorly in our lives is not just because we want to act out badly or poorly in our relationships. It's often because there is a need, a legitimate need that we have that isn't being met in the right way. So identify the need that you need met or that that other person is trying to get met in that relationship. And they say, take in the good 
Take in the good around you of all the other relationships you have that are healthy and whole. That's where that family of God that Jesus talks about comes into play. He says, take in acceptance, love, and goodness from those around you, maybe outside of your family, that continue to build you up. And then they say, practice boundary skills. It's not something you automatically do, so you have to practice it in safe ways with safe people. Begin to practice, live those out. Say no to the bad in your life. If there are harmful people, harmful situations, refuse to be around it. Say no to it and refuse it being in your life. Then they say forgive. I think that's the hardest one for us because we hear that so much in the Christian world and we think that means to condone or excuse behavior, but it's really, it's an ancient financial term and it means to release yourself from the debtedness of another. It says release that person from having to give something back to you, whether it be revenge or owning their mistake. Let it go and let them go if you need to. But the more you hold on to them needing to repay a debt, the more you stay stuck. So forgive them, release the debt. Respond, don't react. Those people in your life who can elicit just an immediate reaction out of you have control over you. If in a moment you can't stop and consider what you want to say and how you want to do, there's a problem. And then they say the last thing is learn to love in freedom because love is freely given and freely received in the kingdom of God. Learn to experience that with others and then begin to practice that in your family relationships. And that is a very quick overview of that and we'll, like I said, share that. But today we're gonna pray and I want you to know and to hear that God is with you, God is for you, God loves you and that we have good and bad relationships with our family and God gives us a solution. God gives us a way we can walk that out as we see with Jesus. But you might need to re-engage, change the rules of engagement And as you do that, you see where God's grace can fill in the gaps. Would you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks, God, for the people in our lives that you say we are made for each other. We are made for one another. But God, we recognize and acknowledge that it is hard to be together, that it is hard, God, to live in relationship with one another. And oftentimes one of the hardest places, one of the areas in which we feel the most rub is with our families. God, whatever our family dynamics and situations are today, would you remind us of this moment in Jesus's life, this moment in which we're given permission to reimagine our family relationships in such a way that God, we would honor you. Would you remind us that in honoring you above all else brings everything else in our life into place. It might be the hardest thing to do, especially when it means breaking normal systems and rhythms, but God remind us it is truly the pathway to freedom and living a life of joy, love, and peace as you have called and made for us. We give you thanks and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Want to connect with Uptown Church? Visit uptownchurchdallas.org or follow us on Instagram 
And be sure to join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. for in-person worship at House of Blues in Dallas. God is with you. God is for you. Go in peace.